0: trial by wine. We take a closer look at crimes that highlight how fascinating humans can be. Schmidtie, Swanee and Clarkie visit crimes and run them through their jury of three, debating both sides of the case to agree an appropriate, if totally fictitious, sentence. Please be advised, trial by wine may include explicit or disturbing content and will include drunken rambling. Listener discretion is advised. All right, how are we?
1: Fat.
2: Like, so fat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's like two days after Christmas as we're recording <laughs> oh, this. I
1: oh. thought you were going to say
0: fantastic and it stopped yeah, and I was like, nah, fat, what?
2: Totes right. fat. Have not yeah, stopped eating.
3: I've got an extra layer of fat under my eye, under my eyes. I went out oh. and I thought, oh God, what is that? And I Googled it and it's like not a bag under it, like it's a white puffy bit and I <laughs> googled it it was like it's fluid retention i was like if you've eaten lots of salty things or lots of food i was like oh that'll be it. it's just so i've got fat being retained under my eyes in addition to everything else i already had so i'm weirdly very they
2: don't sing about that in christmas carols
3: no they don't they don't but i did see something the other day that said don't blame christmas you were fat in august i was showing that to people on christmas day here. <laughs> <laughs> <Everyone> was going, <laughs> it's true isn't it it was like oh i'm like oh I'm so fat yes. it's like, i've been i've been fat all year." yeah
0: yeah. What about you, Schmidt? How did you go? Uh, yeah, pretty good. I am also as fat as I ever was. I haven't lost any weight. Actually, I haven't gained any. Yeah, no, pretty good. Had a nice Christmas. Gave Tony his jet ski. <gasps> How'd um, that go? Oh, that was fantastic. So he had absolutely no idea. Uh, he got back to from his family Christmas at about 4 o'clock and I said, just have a nap, just have a nap. And then my brother showed up. My brother brought it up and um, they showed it up at about 6 And we did the dinner and everything and then um, we did the present giving and, you know, little ruse, everyone was in on it. (laughs) So I handed out because I was like, don't give him anything because all the gifts that they were giving him were related to it. So I handed out a few gifts to various other people and then I said, here you go, Tony. And there were two, there was a jet ski cover that that I'd bought for it (laughs) because the old one's mangled and then a little box with a key in it. They were, you know, wrapped separately. He opens the jet ski cover he thinks it's an inflatable. He's like, okay, what's this? Puts it down, doesn't know. I said it's related to the other thing. So then he opens the box and he pulls it out and they are—they're don't look like a car key. It's like a funny little thing on a on a curly because um, it's a kill switch thing. You're meant to oh, connect right. it to yourself oh, and oh, if yeah, you yeah, fall yeah, off yeah, the yeah, jet yeah, ski. Yeah, know yeah. yeah. it. Yeah. So he pulls it out and he goes, um, yeah, that's nice. I don't know what this is. I think is it related to a boat, an inflatable or something? And then I said, well, come and see. And so everyone got up and I made them all go out in front before him. And so we went out the front of the house. We walked down the path and my brother had parked on the other side of the road so that if he did happen to sort of see it, he wouldn't clock that it was related to us. And we get to the end and he looks over and he goes, you're joking. You're joking, aren't you? And I was like, no, darling, Merry Christmas. Bought your jet ski. And he's like, oh, my God. And so, you know, he comes up to me at the the end of the night or at some point in the last, I don't know, time has lost its meaning recently. But he comes up and he goes, it's a really good Christmas, wasn't it? I said, well, all things, you know, (laughs) considered. All things considered. All things considered. Yeah, it was pretty good. And he goes, oh, my God, I can't believe I just said that. And I was like, it's all right. (laughs) It was. (laughs) For our listeners, I did mention recently that mum was very sick. Very sadly, she passed away. About a week and a half ago, and so that's that's why it was a bit of a a bit of a faux pas on my husband's uh, and, behalf. Yeah, but... just for clarity, Tony, <laughs> that's
2: not why Tony thought it was a really good Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: <laughs> that's right. totally the no, jet no, no. ski. No, it's totally the jet ski. And he said to my sister-in-law that no one's ever bought him anything like that. So oh, that's mind funny. you, it's third hand. It's like, and it's twenty-one years old. It's not that posh, but anyway. So I suppose we should introduce ourselves. I'm Schmitty.
3: I'm
2: Swanee and I'm Clarkie and together we are Trial, Trial by, by Wine. Wine. And Clarkie, do we have a special guest today? Today we have our favourite defence lawyer extraordinaire, emphasis on the defence, Regina Lawless, <laughs> uh, whoa, affectionately known whoa. as Reggie. Hi, Reggie.
1: Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me back on.
2: So, you may oh, recall Richard pleasure. joined us on the Camouflage Assassin back many moons ago. And uh, yes. we have mentioned her on and off through some of the podcasts because she has a very passionate approach to her defense lawyering. Yeah, <laughs> good to have her back. Mm.
0: Indeed, indeed. And what are we drinking?
2: Well, we are on the Haldon Rose. What do you got this Swanee? Go on then, I've
0: got a bottle of bubbles, but just a green San
3: Sample
2: Lovely. <laughs> nice and refreshing. I did
3: think about it. I did think about it. I had, a, I already had a hangover by Christmas night. I had mm. drunk so much champagne at lunch that I had like a little break in the afternoon. We you know when you do the sort of the shift from the savoury to the sweet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then yes. a friend started filling my glass back up again. And then by the time everyone left, I went to bed. I was like, I've got it. I've got my hangover already. I kind of I hate that. drank into that. Yeah. yeah. So not much Day drinking.
0: Day drinking at our age, you get a hangover before you go to bed now. Yeah.
3: yeah. It's yeah. What about you, Schmidt? What are you on?
0: So I'm drinking gone to my old fave, the old mango chutney. Anyway, who's got a story for us?
2: Um, right, yeah. so I've got a story if you would like to hear it. I would love to. It's a bit of a cracker. And in honor of Reggie, I'd like to start by sharing a quote with you from a French writer named Voltaire in his novel Zadig. Now, I haven't read it. I don't know who he is, but this uh, quote just seemed to apply (laughs) appropriately to today's story. So the quote is, it is better to risk saving a guilty man than to condemn an innocent one.
1: Here, here.
2: Just in case that mm-hmm. gives you an insight into where we're going today. <clears throat> Let's jump into the timey whiny machine and head back to 1959. And we're also going to head to Swanee's corner of Australia. That's right. We're Whoa. heading to Perth, uh, Western Australia. <laughs> so, Swanee, you could attest to, to the rude, fact Dan. that people... <laughs>
3: Oh, but I was not like, going? that's not going to doing i to myself. I was going to say, I've heard it described as a very awful thing, but I'll just say the edge of the world. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I love Perth. You know that. I know you guys do. So, Swanee, you could attest to the fact that today people say that Perth is like a big country town. Do they still say that? I mean, they did when we were there. They still do. Yeah, yeah.
3: I think it and I think it also yep. relates a lot to the industry and type of industry that's big here. You know, it's still very much yes. based on things that are from the earth and farming and things like that's mm. yes. still a lot of big hitters and big money comes from that so that they, they like the idea of it being the the big country town. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and do they still say it's 2 hours and 20 years behind? I have heard that. that yes. No, yeah, yeah.
3: no. No, no, no. <laughs> I've heard
2: that. So, anyway, back But mainly I heard 19- that from
3: the East Coast, not here in the West Coast, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, no one in
2: the West Coast yeah. would say that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In, so, in 1959, Perth had approximately 400,000 people and today it has 2.1 million. So, it was a much, much smaller place. And, funnily enough, and, and completely random, less than 50 traffic lights in the whole city. That's changed, surely.
3: Mm, not around so
2: that's true that's right Just
3: one thing i i think it is if people don't really know a great deal about perth and i'm not from perth i've moved here and it's only when i leave and come back it's still not a million miles away from whether or not it's got many traffic lights it's it's a massive sprawl and so it's not particularly built up in any one area it's huge everything's still 20 minutes well Yes, pretty much. Now there's probably forty minutes to absolutely everywhere, but because it, it's right. it's a huge sprawl. But you know, I've seen so many photographs, and I you know constantly hear stories where people are talking about how easy it is to live here, and it's still relative to any city that I can think of anywhere. You can still get places very easily. Our peak hour yeah. is teeny tiny. It's it still operates in a very not terribly modern city way but then there's lots yeah, of there's yeah. lots of ease that comes with living somewhere that's so flat and so vast I think even though the population has yeah. grown hugely it's still not mm. like a metropolis as such no
2: so our story begins on the night of the 19th slash 20th of December so not even a week out from Christmas which is kind of timely for us as we record not so timely as we go to air but anyway so um the first person we're going to discuss is Gillian Brewer So Gillian was a 22-year-old socialite and heiress to the McRobertson's chocolate fortune. For those of you who don't know McRobertson's, they were a Melbourne-based chocolate maker who created Australian chocolate icons like Freddo the Frog and Cherry (gasps) Rite. Right? And Cherry Rite, that's the sort of stuff you take overseas, right? I think, you know, you go, oh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, they're good. Some of the Fredo frogs. Anyway, so Gillian lived on a ground floor flat in Brookwood Flats, Sterling Highway, Cotterslow.
3: Do you know what you're going to do to me?
2: (laughs) I was nearly going to leave that out because I thought, oh, but I figured it's 60 years ago, right? So... You know
3: know me, I sleep, you know, I'm still scared about the other woman coming after me. Wiggers! Wiggers.
2: Yeah, there's (laughs) So at least if, you know, if you could befriend somebody in this story down the track, you could have someone to save you when wiggers comes to town. (laughs) Her mother occupied the flat next door. Julian spent Mm. the evening of the 19th of December, which was a Saturday, in the flat with her fiancé, Mr Dinny. At about 11.30pm, the couple retired to the bedroom and then at midnight, Dinny left. So anyway, when he returned at 9am the next morning to collect Miss Brewer for a game of golf, he found her dead body on the bed where he had left her. Mm. She was lying on her back and appeared to have been attacked in her sleep. There was no sign of any struggle. She had been struck several times with blows to the head throat, and lower body with a tomahawk. Jesus. Oh. It was later found, right, and, and there was a whole lot of detail which I've deliberately left out, so I need to help you sleep at night. <laughs> the tomahawk was later found lying between a boundary fence of the flats and a shed on the adjoining block. Also used in the uh, attack were dressmaking scissors which were found on uh. the divider between the living room of the flat and the kitchen. So a lot happened. Well, right? That's
3: just great. So everyone knows you don't use the good scissors for... I know. Yeah,
0: my mum <laughs> would So would <admired. laughs> yeah. mine. They are only Dress for making,
2: dressmaking. They
0: are only for dressmaking. Don't cut that's metal right. or anything with blood, them, yeah. my God. Oh, God.
3: Yeah. No, oh. Do you think he had to no. break
2: into the sewing machine to get the dressmaking scissors or do you think they were casually left about...
0: She would have had one of those dressmaking boxes. Do you remember? Mm. Did you have them for home, Mick? Yeah, I do. Where, you know, like but, and it, they were sort of. But did he I was have them? Like a Christmas rattan. present when you're little. Yeah, they were like yeah. a Christmas
3: present kind of thing yeah. when you're little. I've still got one did, somewhere. Did yeah. the murderer have
2: to go <laughs> yeah. and find them knowing that they would be the best scissors in the house? Or did he just stumble maybe, across them on the bedside? Maybe she'd been doing
0: a little doing. bit of needlework or something next to her bed and they were mm. there, yeah. Oh, mm. they're probably, yes. yeah.
2: With Mr. Dinny.
0: But like the, so right. the, Mr. Dinny, I, I didn't mention it earlier, but I'm finding it hard to get past it. Does he not have a first name?
2: He's fairly insignificant in the case, as you'll oh. soon see. <laughs> yeah. So, so ins- insignificant Dini, he doesn't yeah. even
0: get a first name.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, because it's 1959, right, so there's a, a few, you know how it's hard to find the details, but okay. I did All find right. Mr. Dinny, right. right. so that's what we're
0: going. Okay. With, right? <laughs> right,
2: okay. Yeah but the medical evidence was that the death had occurred between 2am and 6am. The tomahawk had been taken from the open garage of a house a few blocks away. It was ordinarily kept hanging on a nail and the owner thought that he hadn't seen it there about two weeks before the murder. But they, the police didn't find that out till later. The police found no fingerprints in the flat other than those of Miss Brewer and Mr Dinney and there was nothing to indicate how the murderer had got into the flat. Mr Dinney had let himself out of the flat by the front door, which had a Yale type of lock. So, you know, those deadlock ones. Mm -hmm. And his evidence was that the back door of the flat, which was found locked after the murder, was always locked even in the daytime with the key left on the inside of the lock. So, you know, that same thing. You always kept the key in the lock back then. The only indication of when the murder was committed was a neighbour's statement that she had heard Miss Brewer's poodle which was under the bed when Mr. Dini left, bark three or four times at about 1 a.m. and then break off in the middle of a bark. Mm. Don't worry, the poodle was unharmed.
0: Oh, it's not a shape panda. Okay.
2: Yeah, I had visions of oh. um, Silence of the Lambs, you know, when there's the poodle, that she, she gets the poodle in the bottom of the well and she says, I'll kill the fucking thing or whatever she says.
0: No, I don't. But I was thinking about remember the actual Shea Panda that Shea has (laughs) named herself after as the dog yes. Then that poor little Shay didn't make it. Yeah,
2: yeah. Despite the good work done early on in the case to determine what had happened, no progress was made in solving the crime until the seventh of April nineteen sixty one. So this was Christmas in nineteen
3: fifty
2: nine. That's when a profoundly deaf man who could not speak named so Daryl Beamish, yes,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, and I've got to be really careful because in all of the research it all said deaf and dumb, which, you know, my sister's deaf, super offensive term, so a lot mm-hmm. of what I read about was deaf and dumb and I do like to cut and paste a little bit when I do these stories. So Was that, I do, end do up... you think that
0: they were using that term because it was back in the olden days?
2: Yeah, absolutely, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I mean when you say back in the olden days even in the 80s they used to say deaf and dumb so it's not even well, okay. from my perspective, that's what it's I, not even the yeah. olden days.
0: Well, I've certainly but heard it but 59. I haven't heard it I would not say I haven't heard it in a, a long time. Yeah,
2: no. Yeah, yeah. Well, me neither and then when I saw it's the out, I'm, I'm like oh my god they are using that a lot. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so that's when profoundly deaf and mute uh Daryl Beamish, who was 20 years old at the time, pleaded guilty to four charges of aggravated assault on young girls. Now, this is pretty gross. Uh, in each case, Beamish had enticed a girl of four or five years of age into his car, driven to Kings Ooh. Park, removed part of her clothing and had an Uncle Doug uh, whilst looking at the girl's vagina. Uh. <laughs> on, the, on the 7th of April, Beamish was remanded in custody until the afternoon to await sentence. During this uh, period, he had a bit of free time and was taken by Detective Sergeant Leach, who was in charge of the inquiries into the Brewer murder, down to the flat where Miss Brewer was killed. But importantly, Detective Sergeant Leach had a saying, any stick to beat a dog, which basically meant do what it takes to catch the bad guy. He was also known as Mr 100% by Perth magistrates because in any cases that he tried, 100% of the evidence he presented always pointed to the accused. So there was never any evidence from any of the crimes that he uh, spoke about that didn't point directly to the accused. Is that normal, Reggie?
1: (laughs) (laughs) In some cases, it is, but uh, really, there should be a little bit of um, even-handedness in terms of the pre- presentation of. Kind evidence. of
2: indicates he is quite ruthless with his intent to
1: convict. Is that right? Under. Yes, absolutely. Mm. At all costs. It he yeah. just really that, wanted a good clearance rate. Right.
2: Anyway.
0: Yeah. all About it's his clearance. Right? Yeah.
2: Daryl and Sergeant Leach, Mr. 100%, were accompanied by another detective named Deering and by Mrs. Myatt, a public relations officer and interpreter for the adult, now I'm going to have to use the word here because this is what it was called at the time, the Adult Deaf and Dumb Society, who had known Beamish for some time and had previously befriended him. Beamish communicated with others through sign language and finger spelling which was very common at the time, uh, which he had learnt at a special school supplemented by lip reading and gesture. He could utter only a few words and could hear only shrill noises such as a whistle. Though Mm -hmm. his vocabulary was limited, his intelligence was deemed average and by average I mean not below normal and his handwriting was quite fluent. He had held a driving licence for some years and he worked for his living. So he was contributing to society as any...
3: He wasn't institutionalised um, or, you know, he had a
2: Yeah, a not at all.
3: He, sort of, he was sort of self-sufficient probably with some help.
2: Yep. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So so at the, at the flat, Sergeant Leach asked Beamish through Mrs. Myatt whether he knew anything about Miss Brewer's murder. Beamish at first denied any knowledge of it, but on the way back to Perth in the police car, he said that he wanted to tell the truth. ...and that he had killed Missus Miss Brewer. Later at the CIB office and at the flat... ...Beamish gave an account of how he had got into the flat... ...and attacked her with an axe and a pair of scissors. He led the police to the house from which he had taken the tomahawk. The morning of the following day, the 8th of April 1961... ...Leach, again accompanied by Miss Might and Deering, ...put a series of written questions to Beamish... ...to make sure he understood each question... Mrs. Meyer also translated into signs that Mr. Beamish would understand. Beamish's written answers to these questions confirmed his statements of the previous day. Later that same and, day... And
0: can I just ask, did anyone notice that his face at this point was now swelling from being punched up? Any evidence <laughs> that he is, had the shit kicked out of him?
2: There is no evidence of pre- police brutality in this story Yet.
1: Remember, Mr. 100% would never lead that sort of evidence.
2: Later that same day, Beamish was seen to write something on the bitumen floor of the exercise yard of the police station, which included the words Cotterslow and, and I'll say allegedly, I killed Lady. Two months later, on the 12th of June, Leach again interviewed Beamish in Fremantle Prison where he was serving a sentence of seven months' imprisonment for the assaults on the young girls. On this occasion, Leach was accompanied by the Reverend Chetland, chaplain of the missions to seamen, Dr mm-hmm. Thompson, the visiting psychiatrist to Fremantle Prison, and the former Inspector General of the Insane, again, of its time, Ooh. not my words. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a lot of uh, quite heavy um, heavy hitters, though.
2: Yeah, yeah. Why uh, do you
0: reckon you that? Know, is? For, well, because they were trying to prove that he was insane, or I don't know, fitting him up. It sounds to me like they're fitting him up. I mean, his mo, his mo wasn't, his mo was fiddling with little girls and having a wank. It wasn't Correct. murdering yeah, yeah. people with an axe. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. But so not if you can to get say to that confess- that kind of crime
0: doesn't move to can, can move to violent yeah. crime, but. It could have be been yeah, a gateway Yeah, gateway. Crime. Yeah, yeah,
2: quick. Oh, have a drink. Gateway. Have a drink.
1: Oh,
0: Jesus, <laughs> not again. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right for you, Swanny, and your San Pellegrino. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sad, <laughs> Pellegrino. Sad. Sad
2: Pellegrino. Sad. <laughs> <laughs> Pellegrino. So, and Mrs. might was also there. The good reverend, who had long experience of dealing with the deaf, acted as an interpreter. Sergeant Leach took Beamish through each question and answer of the written statement of the 8th of April 1961 and Beamish admitted that his answers were true. The Reverend Chetwynd was satisfied that Beamish understood the questions. According to the evidence of Dr Thompson, Beamish was composed and answered the questions without mental stress. Only at the end of the questioning did he weep for a few moments. Four days later, on the 16th of June 1961, Beamish was charged with the willful murder of Miss Brewer. At his trial before a jury in August 1961, the evidence against Beamish constituted of these four confessions. So Schmidty, we get the heavy hitters in to hear his confession so that we can use four different people as evidence mm,
0: mm-hmm.
2: of his guilt. His defence was that they were untrue and that Leach had threatened and teased him into making them with the assistance of Mrs. Myatt and the Reverend Chetland, which reminds me, I've again skipped my sources. I'm very, very good at this. (laughs) My sources are WA Today, Wikipedia, West Australian Law Review, The Beamish Case by Peter Brett, The Skeptic, Spring 2002 issue, The Herald Sun, Any Stick to Beat a Dog, The Daryl Beamish Story, which was uh, ABC slash Fairfax Media, The Crime Series Podcast, and Now to Love. So the reason that I uh, remembered my sources was that the podcast that I was listening to said things like, because there is not a direct translation between English and signing, sentences and such are abbreviated or or can be kind of meanings are used in a particular sign that could mean a, a sentence or could could represent a sentence for the people here one of the signs that my sister taught me is you go like this and that means the plane takes off so it's a for people who can't see it's a sign of my hand touching the other hand and taking off kind of thing so it's that sign is a generic sign for the plane takes off. So there's no word-for-word word translation, I guess. The reason that's important is that the podcast was saying that Mrs. myatt so so Leach asked Miss asked through Mrs. myatt asked Beamish if He committed the murder and was willing to assist with the investigation. The podcast suggested that the signs Mrs. Myatt used were something more along the lines of, are you aware of what's gone on and are you willing to help? Beamish had replied, yes, I'm willing to tell the truth. Leach had taken that as a confession and Beamish is going, what on earth is going on here?
0: Were they suggesting that she was almost knowingly misrepresenting the question
2: no no not at all no what we're saying no? is that okay. he's asked a question she's interpreted it into sign language that isn't necessarily into something which he's taken word. differently yes. and so it it it's it leads to the complexity i guess of when you have an interpreter involved in any kind of case and Reggie, you had a bit on that that we spoke about earlier. Yeah,
1: exactly. Obviously, this um, case occurs in the, in the 1960s and the, the law has changed somewhat since that time. But prior to 1980, you would have records of interview um, undertaken by police um, where they typed out questions and then typed out the answers that the alleged criminals allegedly said. That meant that there were lots and lots of cases where clients would give instructions to their lawyers that what was said to have been said by them in records of interview was just rubbish. And this is a bit of an indication about how difficult it is when you don't have something that's recorded. Now records of interview are recorded and there are far less alleged confessions uh, as an overall average of what's said in records of interview, and it makes it a whole lot easier for people to understand exactly what's being said by people, particularly in this case where there are difficulties in terms of understanding whether somebody has actually understood the question that is asked, whether it has been interpreted correctly, and whether the response has been interpreted correctly makes things very difficult for somebody to be able to either say 100% that he actually made any alleged confessions and secondly whether anybody understood what he was actually saying in response mm. so mm. and those difficulties have resulted in changes to the laws to make things clearer from both the prosecution perspective and the, and the defence perspective.
2: Yeah. So, so the complexity of, of legal speak for people who both speak English, who both can hear, who can both understand and clarify with each other is... There are still
1: difficulties in those circumstances yeah, because...
2: you put an interpreter in there...
1: Well, it, it makes things even more difficult. Yeah. Mm. Let's put it this way. Even if, if, you, if you
0: imagine interpreting into Auslan or signed language as being a bit like being in Corsica and trying to remember a little bit of French when your friends got chicken pox. <laughs> <laughs> and you then say to the doctor, I think it's polo pox. Was it polo pox or pule pox? Or, uh, I can't remember.
1: Pule.
0: It's pule pox. Yeah, Italian. So yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Car- Carla, trying to explain to the doctor that she thought I had chicken pox, said she has pulley pox. And the doctor looks at her like, what? Because it was yeah. not a, a literal translation. So, yes, I see what you mean. Yeah. It's very tricky. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, it is. The other bit is that so I see this with my sister a bit when she has an interpreter. If my sister says something to an interpreter who then interprets to somebody, if they've got a question to clarify what's being asked or said, they will ask the interpreter and the interpreter will often clarify without referring that question For back them. to yes. my sister yeah. because the they, understood the they understood what they understood. So it gets quite yeah.
0: It's like Chinese whispers almost.
2: A bit, yeah, yeah.
0: Clarkie, did you say
3: in the context of the sort of him starting to communicate that, you know, yes, I murdered her, yes, I did this, yes, that, you mentioned that they had gone back to her house yes,
0: and then
3: the he'd, shown, yep. he'd shown them the the garage where the tomahawk had come from. Did he lead them there, or was he taken there? Do you? Was there a?
2: Yeah. So this is this is where it gets. You've got to read between the lines a little bit, right? Okay. So, yeah. Different people take a different view on the evidence from the past, but right. certainly there is a view that Mister One Hundred Percent was being very suggestive in his questioning and is leading him a hundred percent and so you know
0: okay
2: is this where you took it from or how did you get into here or
1: yeah okay were these
2: the scissors that you used to do it you know did that you go through this
1: entrance
2: yeah yeah we spoke a lot about that this afternoon didn't leading we, questions the, yeah So and you, the power the...
1: of suggestion and the power of being able to encourage somebody to actually believe that what they're saying is yeah. correct.
2: And remember the Reykjavik Yeah, like the ones in Reykjavik,
1: yeah, 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 yeah.
2: Yeah, so you take them to the scene and it's a, it's a tactic where it starts to imprint on their memory because yeah. they were they there take and them they Did they take them 60 recall. times?
1: it's insane. Mm. Yep, that's yeah, that's quite a number of uh, interviews. That's leading. <laughs> mm. A lot of paperwork. Even in this case, mm. though, you know, now, again, the 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 rules of evidence um, and procedure have changed, but it, it's how he they get, the police get to interview him on four separate occasions is just beyond me. That's and he's not another... got a lawyer,
0: I'm assuming, and at all these times he's got no one
2: representing no. him. There's no mention yeah, of no. a lawyer at that
0: point. <laughs> yeah. Because their
3: argument would be, I guess, in those days that the that Mrs. Myers would have been sufficient. Exactly. who else was going to I bet mean, she's an that interpreter, like, she's not a solicitor, or Oh no, lawyer. I'm not that, no I you're totally correct. That's not what I'm saying.
0: And arguably he's vulnerable too, so of I know course. what you're saying. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah.
3: But that that they're saying, well a box a box was ticked, it was the yeah, fact yeah. he had someone was yeah, mm. he had an advocate, you know. There was Unbelievable. Person,
2: yeah.
1: Mm. yeah. And the Reverend as well. You know, the reverend. Yeah, so getting the big
2: hitters was all about credible witnesses in court, wasn't it? He's obviously got those four confessions, which were from. I don't know. Maybe of the maybe of the time, it wasn't unusual, but it seems like they're unusually big hitters, right? You've got the the reverend who would stand up well in court. You've got the former Inspector General of the Insane, who, to people who don't know any better, would go, "Wow, he must know what he's talking about." You've got Mrs. Myatt, who has been in and around profoundly deaf people, and you've got Leach, Mr. 100%. So Beamish's defense was that, that the allegations were untrue and that Leach had threatened and teased him into making them with the assistance of Mrs. Myatt and Reverend Chetwind. And straight away, Reggie, that rang alarm bells for you, didn't it? Yeah,
1: it it did ring alarm alarm bells from my point of view. Only because to to suggest that there is a massive conspiracy, yes, it's it, it could be the situation that somebody like Mister One Hundred Percent would want to to be doing everything that he could he possibly could to get his conviction, but to attribute those uh, sorts of feelings to to other people makes it a bit more difficult, I mm. think.
2: They're all from different institutions, I guess. For one of a better word, as well. So yeah, they are. Well, he yeah. was trying. To it's like the, the whole band, of society. Yeah, has made like, up a yeah,
0: cover the religious angle. We'll go as psychologists. We'll have yeah. all these upstanding members, pillars of the community, yeah. and yeah. therefore we'll get a slam dunk out of it because I'm missed One Hundred Percent.
2: So straight away, when we discussed that, you made reference to the fact that that seems like a lot. And some rather over, over the, the top, top kind of people to be taking um, mm. to the interview, but now you can see why, right?
0: I can only assume though that part of the heat on this was because she was the heiress to the McRobertson fortune.
2: Uh, you know what I mean? Like yes. it, like so so that
0: was it because, of because she yes. was sort of a
2: she was very important yes. person? Yeah, uh, well, yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely, yes. He denied any knowledge of the murder until he was told of it by Mrs. Myatt on the 7th of April, 1961. Apart from denying that he had admitted killing Mrs. Brewer in what he wrote on the floor of the exercise yard on the 8th of April, mm. Beamish did not do- deny that he made the statements attributed to him. However, he said that he wrote, I not killed lady on the concrete, not I killed right. lady. And there were no photos of that evidence. So you've got... So it's not
0: evidence
1: then?
2: Well, if the prosecution say it and the jury hear it... It doesn't exist. Is it evidence
1: or is it not? Well, it is evidence, but it's also likely to have come from, really, somebody who was in custody with him at the time, which is like a jailhouse confession, which are all, Mm. you
2: know... But you you made a phrase before, you made a a comment before about the rules of evidence evidence and... I think that often you would spend time trying to have supposed
1: evidence. That sort of evidence, yeah. Because um, it th- would, there would a be jury. an application that it not be put before the jury. Yeah. That's right. Hmm. And the next piece of evidence as well.
2: So his explanation of the details of the crime, which he gave in these statements, was that he had either guessed them or Mrs. Myatt had suggested them to him. So he's quite adamant that he has been led down a garden path. The prosecution was allowed to cross-examine Beamish on his own involvement in other unrelated crimes with the consent of his own defence team. And the prosecution's justification for this was that Beamish claimed that the detective sergeant had lied, which was his defence, and because of that it was important to understand his character. And this one, yeah, but you'd be Again. all right with that, got the wouldn't you,
0: <laughs> That's one of your favourite things. You're always arguing that everything that has ever happened in someone's life is completely admissible in whatever court case we're covering.
2: I think to be you fair, it's not fair to that, say do you? <laughs>
0: he does. He does. I've got
2: to be it fair to say I do not always say that, but I would. I will have said something similar to that once before. He's blushing too, quite
0: regularly, quite regularly. He's <laughs> not- always
2: like Swanee. Do I say that regularly?
1: Yes.
0: Yeah. Thank you.
2: <laughs> oh, Damn it. Okay. You I'll are in big trouble.
1: Then. Yeah. So absolutely, that's not something that um, the defence should be ever admissible. have consented to. It's not
0: relevant. Absolutely yeah. not. Completely I agree irrelevant. with you, Reggie. And uh, with yeah. Clark and I have often had these debates. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I still, um, I'm not convinced on the often, but I will take it that you've both accused me of that. So. <laughs> until we go to court, I will say nothing more. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> right, so the jury found him guilty of willful murder with a strong recommendation to mercy. Disgusting. And he was sentenced to death. Oh, there's the for the you. Con- Yeah. Okay. An appeal against his conviction was dismissed by the WA Court of Criminal Appeal on 20th of November, sorry, 20th of October, 1961. The main ground of appeal was that the trial judge should not have admitted Beamish's confessions of the 7th of April and the 8th of April because they were not shown to be voluntary. But the court held that the confessions had properly been admitted Uh, An application was later made to the High Court of Australia for special leave to appeal from the decision. That too was refused. However, the uh, death sentence was then commuted to imprisonment for life and Beamish spent 15 years behind bars for the murder. However, throughout the entire time, he insisted the confessions were untrue and were obtained through intimidation and threats. Now, let's head to 1963 and talk about John Button.
3: So in 1963, Daryl's locked Mm -hmm. up, right?
2: He's locked Uh up.
3: Everyone's comfortable with the fact that Daryl's locked up. That's all tidy. Apart from Daryl. Yep. Apart, yeah, from apart, Darryl, from Darryl, yeah. apart from Daryl, but
2: yeah, yeah. apart from Daryl, everyone is okay. Yep, 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 yep. Well, He's got yeah, end. I mean, I, 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 I don't know. Like I think it's... there were actually, I, I did hear and see things about there being a number of people who were deaf or otherwise oh, okay. impaired mate. who exactly. thought that this was very much a a, a wrongdoing. Yep. Okay. So I don't think that everyone was, but yeah, I understand what you're saying, and, and it's kind of. There's not a lot going on at the moment.
1: No, the law had decided though that there were no. Mr.
2: 100% had his conviction. Uh, John Button. So, John celebrated his 19th birthday at a dinner at his parents' Perth suburban home, along with his girlfriend Rosemary, who was 17 at the time. The dinner had been pleasant until he and Rosemary had a tiff, and apparently the tiff was over fish and chips. I'm not sure whether it's do you get your fish grilled or fried or maybe something squeak
1: scallop or something like that? I'm having
2: that last in sim. Yes. I don't know. Something along those lines, I reckon. They had a TIFF and Rosemary stormed out and started to walk home. John jumped into his car a nineteen sixty two French designed Simca Aronde Aronde, maybe, and followed her, trying to persuade her to get in. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was a brand spanker. pretty
3: flash. He's pretty flash. he was only 19. He's doing all
2: right. (laughs) Rosemary was determined to walk. When she disappeared under a train track subway, he stopped the car and he lit a cigarette and waited. And he kind of thought, you know, on the other side of that's a deserted industrial strip. She's going to get through there and she's going to go, oh, this is all a bit scary. I'll come back. Anyway... He finished his cigarette and she still hadn't come back. So he drove through four minutes later and he spotted her lying in the sand several metres from the road, fatally injured. Oh, God. Thinking there was a crazed hit-and-run driver at large, he carried the bleeding girl to his car and rushed her to a doctor's surgery. The doctor called an ambulance and the police. When the cops arrived, they noticed the damage to the left front corner of his car and they questioned him. And he said that he had a minor accident when he ran to the back of a Ford Prefect car three weeks before and he'd not had the damage fixed as yet. The police looked into it and they found the report of the accident. But the whole situation looked a little too suspicious. And Swanee, you know, we've been to the uh, School of Law and Order and we've seen how this all plays out. You've got Mm -hmm. (laughs) John, the boyfriend, has an argument with his girlfriend. He was on the scene, there was a damage to the car, and there was blood tidy. on and in the car. Well, tidy, right? It's yeah. pretty easy to connect the dots. Furthermore, and completely irrelevant to the actual case, John had a bad stutter, which investigating, mm. which investigating police took as nervousness at the questions oh. he was being asked. Button was mm. interviewed for hours by police. He was not read his rights nor given the opportunity to call anyone. During the questioning, the police revealed to him that Rosemary had died and an officer accused him of killing her. Button was steadfast in his denial of the murder and the officers began punching him. Mm
1: -hmm. After
2: five hours, and and that's the police brutality that you were asking about earlier. Not Mr 100%, but...
1: Another police officer. Who was
2: equally uh, steadfast in his conviction. Exactly. (laughs) After five hours of intense questioning in police custody and some beating, John signed a confession that had been, you said it before, Reggie, typed out by a detective and he was taken straight into custody. So, again, the the typing out of the confession is important yeah. nowadays, isn't it?
1: It's not, not loud not nowadays. Yeah, yeah. Nowadays. No, that's right. And that's why the recording makes it much easier to understand what has actually gone on in the police station. Although there are still some allegations of alleged confessions um, that have become quite popular with um, police officers just in the last probably 12 months where they say these confessions have occurred off tape or off recording and, you know, in the in the area nearer the interview room. But they're all <laughs> being... Not allowed... Allowed. Well, no, we're fighting all of those. And some of them, funnily enough, police don't continue with. So I've got a trial. <laughs> we'll run. Next Strangely, year where sometimes no the alleging. police say,
0: hmm, maybe that didn't happen. Oh. They changed
2: their story too. So John went to trial, and at the trial, That's the so strongest evidence, me. apart from his confession, was that his 1962. Simca Aronde Sedan had damage consistent with an accident.
3: That had already been reported. Yeah. Correct. So he has an accident. Yes,
2: yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Two weeks earlier. No one's disputing hmm. that. Yeah, and it's been reported, so the police have a record of that. So Trevor Condren was the police officer who had examined Button Simca in nineteen sixty-three, but when he gave evidence at the trial, he had not been asked what could have caused the damage. He told the appeals court later um, that while the car was damaged, the damage was not consistent with hitting a person and that three weeks before Anderson's death, Button had reported to police an accident with a Ford prefect that had caused matching damage to that scene by Condren. This accident had been known to police at the original trial but had been discounted as irrelevant. The court had also heard from Dr Neil Turner who had treated Anderson he claimed that her injuries were not consistent with Button's vehicle. During the trial, Button was unwavering in his version of events, that he had found Rosemary unconscious on the side of the road and that he had nothing to do with her death.
0: What were her, her injuries consistent with? Had she been hit uh, by a car or she'd been
2: we'll like, you know,
0: belted over the
2: head or something? Okay, right. Button was initially found not guilty of murder and also not guilty of manslaughter. And he was super relieved, except three seconds after announcing that he was not guilty of manslaughter, the then jury foreman shouted out, oh, wait, wait, hang on a minute. I've made a mistake. We found him guilty. Oh, God. What? So... <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's horrendous. Mm, that
3: Could happened. you
0: imagine? Oh, <laughs>
3: like trick yeah. Sit down. You had your chance. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I was just a bit bit nervous. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I I don't do foremaning very often. I was a bit nervous.
2: We find you not, 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 not guilty.
0: Oh, yes, the guy from Vicar of Dibley. (laughs) No, 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 yes. No, 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 no,
2: yes. (laughs) So the jury at his trial convicted him of manslaughter and he was sentenced to 10 years hard labour. Had he been convicted of willful murder as charged, he could have hanged. And because of this, he was advised not to appeal the conviction as it could lead to him being retried and given the death.
0: And found guilty.
2: Yeah.
3: I don't think I realised the hard labour thing I thought sounded like that was something that would predate all of this. I thought that sounded like something like if you're a convict or something. I didn't realise that that was...
0: Well, once you're you're charged and guilty, you are a convict. (laughs)
3: I do, you know I thing. do But do you know what I mean? I didn't know that, yeah, that was yeah. what it would be described as I'm surprised by that
2: Well, if Perth was 20 years behind then it takes you back to the Fair enough <laughs> <laughs> <20s>. Fair enough <laughs> yeah.
1: In
3: 1965,
2: Perth introduced a parole system and uh, existing prisoner sentences were reviewed to include a parole component Button received the eligibility for parole after five years and was released due to his clear record in prison. So he only served five years of his 10. Taking it back a little bit, so on Australia Day, being the 26th of January, uh, at least for now, in 1963, a gunman goes on a rampage, killing two people and injuring three others in the Nedlands and Cottesloe areas. And... Similar murders continue for a while afterwards. And then the rifle that was used in the murders uh, is found in a bush. So police go, ha-ha, we're going to stake out this area, hoping that the gunman will come back to collect the gun. And two weeks later, the gunman returns and police arrest him. And he confesses to 22 violent crimes, including the Australia Day Massacre. On the 1st of September 1963, a man named Eric Edgar Cook was arrested and subsequently charged Uh with five murders.
0: Uh Four
2: of these murders were committed in 1963 and the Uh other several years earlier on the 30th of January 1959. Cook confessed to these five murders and the police, after inquiry, entertained no doubt about his responsibility for them. The first of his victims, a woman, had been stabbed. The second and third were shot at different places on the same night. They were the Australia Day killings. The fourth, another woman, was strangled and the fifth, the young girl, was shot. Cook was tried for one of these murders in November 1963, found guilty and sentenced to death. The jury rejected his plea of compulsive insanity. After he'd confessed... A detective sergeant named Dunn remarked to Cook that it was a wonder that no-one had been taken in for one of his crimes. Cook replied, you can be assured, Mr Dunn, that no-one has been charged or is doing time for any job I've done. Five days later, however, on the 10th of September... Compulsive insanity. Cook told Detective Sergeant Nielsen and two other police officers that he was also responsible for two further killings for which two other men were then serving sentences of imprisonment. One of these was Gillian Brewer's murder. On the 13th of September 1963, the police asked Cook to explain how he had killed Miss Brewer in 1959. He then gave a fairly detailed account of the crime, in which he described how he had gotten into and out of the flat, the furnishings of the flat, the weapons he used and the blows he inflicted on Miss Brewer. However, the police pointed out a number of discrepancies between his account of the crime and the known facts, whereby uh, he retracted his confession, giving the explanation, I read something and then I seemed to live the part in the story. I can see now I couldn't have done it, but I had to have it proved to me one way or another. It seems so real to me sometimes, but I see now I couldn't have done it. But... Cook also confessed to another murder, that of Miss Anderson. He provided a great detail of how he had spotted her just after she walked under the subway, waited for the traffic to clear, then lined her up with a car he had stolen that night, a 1962 Holden. He described how she flew over the bonnet, over the roof Uh. and disappeared. He had then driven the car to a park three kilometres away and crashed it into a tree to disguise the damage. The Holden's owner was contacted and he and police records confirmed that his car was found crashed into a tree in Kings Park the next morning, just as Mr Cook had described. The police took him to the site and again pointed out a number of discrepancies with his story. And you guessed it, he retracted his confession. Then he confirmed to a senior officer, Inspector Lamb, that he was sure that he had not killed Miss Anderson and Miss Brewer and apologised for causing trouble. About a week later, Cook told his solicitor that the police had shown him that he could not have killed Miss Brewer and he again said that he sometimes became so engrossed in what he read that he became part of it. He told his solicitor that he had read in the newspaper where Miss Brewer was hit, but after further conversations with his solicitor, he again insisted that he had killed Miss Brewer and Miss Anderson. Mm -hmm. On the 9th of October, 1963, in talking to a detective who escorted him to Fremantle Courthouse, Cook said that he had killed Miss Brewer and that he had been in both Miss Brewer's and her mother's flat next door on several occasions. He said that on the night he killed Miss Brewer, he entered the flat by the front door, which was open, and left by crawling through a flap in the bottom of the back door. On the 31st of October, 1963... Cook affirmed to the Reverend Sullivan, who was visiting him in prison, that he had killed Miss Anderson and Miss Brewer and gave a detailed account of how he had killed Miss Brewer. Cook told the Reverend Sullivan that he had retracted his two earlier confessions because he was ashamed of the nature of the two killings. Cook's renewed claim to have killed Miss Brewer came to the notice of Beamish's legal advisers and on the 4th of December 1963, after he had been convicted of one of the five murders referred to earlier and sentenced to death, Cook swore an affidavit confirming a written statement made to Beamish's solicitor in which he claimed to have killed Miss Brewer. On the 6th of December 1963, Beamish's solicitors petitioned the Governor for mercy on behalf of Beamish on the grounds that Cook had confessed to killing Miss Brewer. On, the 4th, sorry, on 4th of February 1964, the Minister for Justice referred the conviction of Beamish to the Court of Criminal Appeal under Section 21 of the Criminal Code. And so Section 21 talks about the court being able to treat the reference as an appeal from conviction with the ordinary power to set aside a conviction and order a new trial. So it's about the new introduction of new evidence. Is that right?
1: I think that that's what it's all about. I don't know exactly what that section of the Western Australian legislation relates to. All I can say is that the equivalent in Victoria is an application for leave to appeal to the Court of Appeal or alternatively a petition of mercy. In both circumstances, you uh, elicit um, further new evidence and that's the basis of that application.
2: Yeah, and so that this one in, in the bit that I saw says that it... It doesn't refer explicitly to the discovery of fresh evidence, but it is well established that the general power to set aside a conviction and order a new trial on the ground that there was a miscarriage of justice enables the court to take a proper account of the discovery of fresh evidence. Anyway, regardless of all of that, the request was denied. John Button also appeared on the basis of this confession. Mm. Cook gave evidence at the appeal, but the judges, already sickened by the details of his other crimes, refused to believe anything he said. They said he was inventing the story to delay the death sentence he had been handed for other murders. Even awaiting the gallows. I love your face, Schmidty. It's so good.
0: It's It's sickened by the other crimes. We won't even hear it. I mean, are you serious? Like it's your job. You're the judges. <laughs> exactly You're right. far out. You're
1: kidding me. Anyway, sorry.
2: Hundred percent.
1: That might have been a bit of poetic license, though, mightn't it? Well, that was. Well, I'm going to take uh, it as that and get outraged.
2: Taken, taken from one of my <laughs> sources. So perhaps their poetic license. Their poetic license, but, perhaps. I don't know. It all sounds pretty consistent. Anyway, it's even good. awaiting the gallows at Fremantle Prison on October the 26, 1964, Cook was concerned that Button and Beamish were in jail due to crimes that he had committed.
0: Oh, what a Ten nice guy. Ten minutes before
2: he was hanged, Cook voluntarily took the Bible <laughs> from the prison chaplain and said, I oh. swear before almighty God that I killed Anderson and Brewer.
0: Oh, isn't he good? Well, you know.
2: I mean, you know, I, I think I think well, if he no. was going to, I feel like it's more he
0: doesn't want someone else taking credit. getting the credit for his crime less than oh these poor guys doing time for me. Now I think if you're about that, of all the people and all the crimes he, he'd committed, they wouldn't
3: at that point be ranking any higher or lower, right? He
0: mm-hmm. wouldn't be
3: thinking they're really special to me those two because people don't believe me that I did them. I think I, I think if
2: did. he at all god fearing, that's the time when that would come to is the This is a
0: man who just ran someone over with a Holden. And F I'm gonna say it was an FJ Holden. Flew her over the bonnet and she just disappeared. This this guy's not God fearing. This guy's a psychopath.
2: I think there's a there can be a disconnection between what happens in people's lives and when they're confronted with death. If they do at all look back, they go, hang on a minute, here's a right, I've got a wrong right now. Other people will take it to the grave 100%, but I guess what I'm saying is that if he (laughs) was going to do anything, that would be the time that he would do it.
0: Yeah, I just like the fact that you got your words around the wrong way, which made it funnier. Which bit? I think you said I've got a wrong, right this wrong or wrong this right or something. Anyway. I think I said I've got a right this wrong.
2: Isn't that right? Correct. Oh, we'll see. I'm okay When with I that. edit back. All right. Yeah, you, you'll cut your bit out. That's what will happen.
0: <laughs> I absolutely will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, right. John Button was released from jail after five years, but he never gave up trying to clear his name. Fair enough. In 1998, Estelle Blackburn wrote and published a superb biography of Eric Cook, the book purported to include new evidence from two witnesses who had come forward during Miss Blackburn's research. Their stories cast doubt on the conviction of John Button. The book's publication received wide publicity and the new evidence led to the WA Attorney General agreeing to reopen Mr Button's case. <sighs> Public expectations were raised that the new evidence would exonerate Mr Button. And of course, to many people affected by the death of both Mrs Miss Anderson and Indirect, I guess, uh, Miss Brewer. They were all traumatised again. However, this time, the defence were a little bit more clued on. So there was a bit of a team of people now working on this case going, we need to get this right. And they managed to find a bloke named William Rusty Haight, H-A-I-G-H-T, not H-A-T-E. Right. Uh, right. From the United States, and he was regarded as the world's leading expert on pedestrian crashes. Uh, he's he'd driven That's an awful in more job. than seven hundred. <laughs> <don't> know, right. <laughs> oh, how bad? Oh. But just to explore how bad that is, he had driven in more than seven hundred staged crashes, analysed the results, and testified in scores of court hearings. So, uh, Rusty reviewed the evidence and he said that he couldn't draw a firm conclusion uh, about which car had killed Rosemary. The problem that he saw was that no cars of the vintage of those said to be involved had ever been crash tested in a car versus pedestrian situation. Mm. So they brought him out to Western Australia to carry out the tests needed. And a major problem with uh, Cook's evidence at John Button's original appeal was that the car he stole was fitted with a steel sun visor. And the appeal judges simply did not believe that a body could have been flung over the top of the car and displaced well to the left-hand side without being caught by the visor or ripping it off. They ridiculed Cook as he stuck firmly to his story in the witness box. So then they went to a test venue and they had video equipment from various different angles and they had cameras inside the cars as well. Still photos were taken before, during and after the tests. They used three Simcas to crash test at speeds of 27, 31, and 37 miles per hour or 43, 50, and 59 kilometres. And the amount of damage to each car varied with the speed, but its position Mm. on the cars was consistent. Right. It was stark and obvious in each case. So the the leading edges of the cars sustained some damage and there were pronounced dents in the rear of the bonnets caused by the dummy's head striking the metal. And Mr Haight explained that the physics is quite simple. The centre of the gravity of an adult is above the top of the striking edge of the bonnet. On impact, the body begins to rotate around the axis of the leading edge, causing the head to impact towards the rear of the bonnet. He also uh, noted that the three Simcas sustained none of the damage shown in the police photos of Mr Button's car and that Mr Button's car had none of the massive bonnet damage suffered by the test cars. He also said that the Simca test failed to displace the body more than about one metre to the side of the car, nothing like the two to three metres described by the, witness, the witnesses Sorry, at the time. Uh, so he was very easily able to say that the Simca could not have been used to uh, strike Miss Anderson with sufficient force to kill or even seriously injure her. So then he had to do the test on the Holden. And the Holden that he had to use had to be fitted with a visor because that was part of the original uh, evidence that was discussed. There were no photos available of the damage to Cook's Holden on the night, um, but there is a detailed account from the panel shop that repaired it for the insurance company. So Mr Haight hit the dummy with the Holden at 35 miles per hour, 56 kilometres, just to the left of centre of the bonnet. To everyone's surprise, the dummy behaved quite differently from when it was hit by the Simkits. The Holden sustained quite severe damage to the leading edge of its bonnet and some head damage to the rear of the bonnet. The dummy then cartwheeled towards the roof of the car. It struck the visor above the left-hand side of the windscreen. Mr. Haight said in his evidence that the visor did play a role in the body motion, but not the role suggested by the Crown at Mr. Button's original appeal in 1964. The visor flexed and distorted, but popped back into its original shape without even cracking the paint, so there was no discernible damage to the visor. But contact with the visor caused the dummy to deflect laterally to the left of the car a distance of about 6.5 feet, so roughly 2 metres, well within the range described by witnesses. Yeah, yeah. So he was able to declare that uh, Rosemary's death could not have occurred with this, the way with the court the had card. suggested, yep. but absolutely the way Cook had described it. So on the 25th of February 2002, the Court of Criminal Appeal quashed Button's conviction after evidence from vehicle crash experts proved that Mr Cook was the culprit. It was then, at the time, the longest period between conviction and exoneration in Australian history. So also um, John Button now spearheads the West Australian Innocence Project, which, yeah. as we know, uh, aims to free the wrongfully convicted. Also, once Button's conviction was overturned... The other bank should have a go. Uh-huh.
0: Mm-hmm. He did,
2: Daryl, and Daryl. Yep. That's
0: because he took notes. I couldn't remember his name, <laughs> Daryl B. It's a long time ago when we talked about
2: him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in 2005, after his sixth appeal, the Court of Criminal Appeal oh, overturned Daryl Beamish's conviction on the basis that a substantial miscarriage of justice had occurred. Yeah, Good yeah. Oh, God. So the court had finally accepted a 1964 confession to Miss Brewer's murder by one of Australia's most notorious serial killers, Eric Edgar Cook.
0: He's also the last man executed, isn't he, in Australia?
2: In, in, or at least in, in, in West WWE Australia, WWE. at least. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in terms of the Cara murder of Rosemary, there were a number mm-hmm. of similar incidents happening at the time. So we discussed this earlier didn't we Reggie whereby whilst there were similar attacks occurring and police were aware of them they were happy to solve this one case
1: yeah they just closed their mind once they made a decision and that happens sometimes and it's
0: well it happens a lot in the cases that we cover yeah
1: it's difficult to to be able to understand it from a long-term perspective because what you really want is you really want to as a as a prosecuting um, officer, you would want the people who'd actually committed the offence to be punished, not just anybody who you can fit into yeah, yeah. into that set of circumstances. I also think that part of the good thing is, is that evidence has changed over such a long period of time. There's scientific investigations are, are much more accurate. You know, you have um, proper DNA testing, which has previously resulted in convictions for people uh, some of which have now been overturned and that better scientific investigation assists in people not being convicted.
2: Mm. And and I think Swanee jurors are way more informed because of going to the uh, law and order school of criminal knowledge.
3: Okay yeah it's true people are so much more exposed. I do I wasn't aware of um, Daryl Beamish or John Button but I'm aware of Eric Edgar Cook and I purposely yep. avoided doing it as a crime because I I don't because I, I didn't grow up in Perth, obviously I don't know about it. But I do have a connection and it comes down to proximity. So as I've mentioned before, I live in Cottesloe and he murdered someone about a hundred metres from our back <gasps> wow, uh, our back fence. No. So, I was I joking when
2: it. I said it was in your street, but it was More or less.
3: So Broome Broome Street, which is probably one of the biggest streets, um, that's not the highway, the biggest street through, it basically runs from North Cottesloe to South Cottesloe. There's a location called the Cottesloe Civic Centre, which is also where I was married. Um, But he he shot a couple there Mm -hmm. and then he went and then he crossed the road and went to an apartment, an old, you know, I think it was like two apartments, two at the top, two at the bottom, and he he crawled up on the roof and then he shot someone there. Now that building, when we moved into this house, still existed, and I I was told about the house because at one point well, the apartment, because at one point my husband and his friends all lived there because they got such oh. such a great deal oh. and to live in such.
2: Oh my lord!
3: And lots of people at this this apartment used to all, and they all laugh about it when they were in their I guess in their early 20s, they were just coming out of uni and their first job was whatever else. This apartment, this building was kind of a bit famous, but, it, you know, it's opposite the tennis courts. It's just up the road from the beach. They all loved it. So they all lived in different, you know, there's two up, two down. Jeremy lived in one downstairs, I think, and friends lived above it or vice versa. But only uh, last year it was actually demolished and now they're doing um, another development there. But that's, that was one of the locations. So that is yeah, wow. all. I mean, when I say 100 meters, it probably isn't even 100 meters. It's not 50. Well, maybe it's 50. It's so close. We have a back lane at the back of our house,
0: mm-hmm. and then
3: on the other side is a house, and then that is Broome Street. And there's lots of other connections around. You were talking about Nedlands before, and that was like
1: yeah. Nedlands
3: and Dalkeith. Everybody's parents live there. You know, there's, it's that story mm-hmm. that everybody's somehow connected. Something happened in their street, their
0: neighbor, they're this, they're that. Schmidt, any thoughts? These cari- miscarriage of justice shit me to tears, <laughs> and of course, I blame in some respect, Mister Hundred Percenter. But then there's the police who then just wouldn't believe that Button couldn't possibly have run his girlfriend over because they were having an argument about whether or not a Chico roll is better than a spring roll, and we all know it's a Chico exactly. roll. But you know <laughs> that kind of nonsense. I think that's the problem when you're dealing with someone like that who just doesn't seem to have a moral compass. There's nothing to say that they would or wouldn't lie and they retract their statement and they'd say it again yeah. and that, and there are too many differences between them. So it is difficult to be able to say, did he really do it? Uh, swearing on a Bible, big shit, mate. You know, like who cares? You, you're a monster. So I don't really think that you, the fear of God is in you. So I think from a sentencing perspective, from, my, from where I'm at, I have a sentence in mind
3: okay. uh, for...
0: Well, I think for the Mr. 100 Percenter. Leach, was yes. it? Leach, yeah. And I think because we started with the very sad death of the heiress to the McRobertson chocolate. Gillian Brewer. Yeah, no, no, uh, the more important thing is the, uh, is the fact the McRobertson chocolate because they actually were the founding company that um, became Cadbury eventually. And ah, right. one of the things that they created was Snack. You know the snack chocolate which has got I've the different. About it. Yeah. Well, it still exists today. Does it? Yes. Where? Well, in Victoria you can buy it. Yeah. Is that the different? Flavors? It's the one with different flavours. Yeah, really? I know I it, can. it yeah. had five different flavours. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: there's a little little pile. Oh, I love that. Maybe a strawberry. And strawberry See, yeah. and one Turkish delight. And a Turkish delight one. Yes. I love yeah. the Turkish delight.
0: Yeah. Caramel and Turkish the, Delight. I don't think
1: we have it over here. I'm sure
0: of it. I sure hate I like. the pineapple and, and I it, hate oh. the strawberry. Is there a
1: Caramello as well?
0: There's a Caramel there and a, a Turkish Delight yeah. and then everything else is disgusting. I think it's maybe orange, pineapple and strawberry. They're maybe all revolting. A mint
2: one. Was there a mint one? Mm,
0: I'd be all right oh, with no. that. I don't remember I that don't being in so that there. Not in Snappity. Anyway, anything. so my... Sweet. My sentence for Leach is that he gets the snack bar with only the flavours he hates, and it could be that he hates Turkish delight, whatever, which, you know, I don't understand because I love Turkish delight, but he gets to only eat snack chocolate of the flavours that are the ones that he finds the most repugnant and because I think that is quite a fitting sentence for a person who, you know, just made up his mind that Mr. 100%er, you know, this I found a vulnerable person this is going to be a slam dunk. So he can eat snack for the rest of his life and that is not a euphemism. <laughs> eat smack. Um, and I suppose Very same nice. for the other the other police who did the same thing to Button. I can sort of see how that could happen though. You know, like I can see that,
2: yeah, right. Occam's you- Razor, right, you talk about that a lot. Yeah, yeah, the obvious one. The most obvious. Except that there was no evidence.
0: Apart from the damaged car.
2: Which was not consistent with anything.
0: No, well, you find that out a long time later, right? But at that time they could have said, yeah, look, you've got a knock on your car, you had a fight with your girlfriend.
2: You reported it three weeks earlier.
0: Oh, premeditation then. Um, Whatever. At the end of the day, it's it's lazy, it's lazy, it's going, oh, it must be this guy. But but as we do know, more people are murdered by their people um, they know or their partners yeah, yeah. than strangers. So the idea yeah. of just a nutbag driving at you for no apparent reason and knocking you over, um, because if they hadn't been connecting all these other murders at the time, I can see why they would not necessarily have picked that up. But they can still, still eat snack, shit snack.
3: I think the most important thing is to get to the bottom of um, the snack flavors. So I've Googled it. And the reason I haven't seen it is because I wasn't thinking of it as being in a bar. It's in a bar. bar. Yeah. I, but I've not seen it in a single bar, like a small individual No, bar. no, it's a ah, yeah,
0: right. 200 Although gram I think thing. you did yeah.
3: historically. OK. But you can agree, buy it yeah. as a big block. And where I'm a little yeah, bit confused great. is we, 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 we were strong. So strawberry, pineapple, ugh, orange. Ugh. I told you. Turkish orange delight, revolting. Caramel, yeah. yeah, and coconut ice. Does anyone remember that as a flavour? Oh, I, yeah, I remember. <gasps> that's what I'm I was saying. That's like I don't one.
0: coconut. Yeah. I don't okay. coconut ice. So it's just a bit yeah. like yeah, a right. bounty or a, co- a what are a they call yeah. yeah. oh, oh. it? Oh. Golden ruff.
3: Yeah, it doesn't. One yeah, of these yeah, kids is not with like the other rough.
2: ones, though.
3: Yes, yeah, that's exactly right. But um, you've taken me back. I have not thought of snack in such a long time because. Historically, and certainly around Christmas, I was the child who loved these sort of like strawberry, pineapple, orange fondant kind of. It's so oh. sweet. And other people, mm. hey, now, now I haven't had it such a long time. Yeah. But, you know, roses or whatever. What, what other boxes? Oh, oh they F- No, not um, yeah, Favourites, so. yeah. Was it no roses? Uh, yeah, and favourites. Quality right. street. Quality street. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, Quality no. street, yeah. Yeah. And when, yes. And people would open up a tin, and I'd be like squealing through to yep. try and get the strawberry. There were like four that you drunk. liked mm. and
2: the rest were yeah. rubbish.
3: Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, oh. and they'd be left for forever, right? I'd eat the <laughs> coconut,
0: and I'd eat the tu- and the Turkish delight, yeah. and the mint stuff, and caramel. I love caramel, but caramel, all those 100%. F- yeah, yeah. sickly sweet fruity oh, ones yeah. make me just yeah. turn my stomach. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Right. Gosh. So there you go. So show there you go. You've uh, sorted yeah. out the important. Yeah, that,
3: that's got to the real matters, the real heart
0: of it. it that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Snack. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> so oh, sorry. sorry to distract everyone with the uh, sentencing of shit snack, but shit snack <laughs> for bad
3: detective. It's like a good yeah.
2: sentencing. <laughs> it was very
0: good.
3: What about you guys? I was trying to think of something and I, I was sort of coming falling a funny bit short with uh, Detective Lynch. It's It's one of those things that, you know, 20 years ago I could say what I wanted to say and it not be deemed inappropriate. But I would like him to have to try and... Be in a situation like poor um, Daryl where he was trying to communicate. Imagine being in a situation of immense stress. Oh, you know? I mean, I just know what it's like when I see the booze bust and I haven't been drinking. It changes you know, you have a reaction to yeah. things which is not what you normally do. You know, really things that are yeah. you don't have to be doing anything wrong to feel something. You you know, because Instantly, do, police come up behind me, me up and I'm like, "What, what am I doing they, wrong? What correct. am I doing?
0: Are they going to call me? Up? You know?" And I'm yeah. doing nothing wrong. Yeah, and yeah.
3: that's the most basic example that I can think of because I think, "Gosh, you know, I'm not I've done anything wrong. You know, everything's fine." But it it changes. So imagine when you start to layer all these yeah. other things and you can't communicate, where you can't
0: hear anything. Yeah, it's awesome, shocking. I can't
3: imagine, and
0: shocking.
3: you know, it's not. And that's why I think you know, in some ways, I don't. I don't want to say that that is a punishment because as you know, people have very rich lives who have hmm. disabilities or, you know, have a, you want to sort of
2: yeah, particularly describe nowadays. it. But
3: correct. But certainly back in the late fifties, early sixties, you know, you probably would have been just I don't know, marginalised, ignored. And I actually think there's a building here that's often referred to because it's again in Cottesloe and it's a grand old building that's quite derelict. It's no we're talking about that what they're going to repurpose it is repurpose it as and it is the deaf society I think so you were talking about it before I reckon that's where the the person has come from so it was probably within this area that kind of you know how everywhere certainly where I grew up in Wollongong we would call the institution that everyone talked about was Green Acres and that was where if you had any sort of um uh, I don't know what do we call it these days? Someone who is a mentally special, special, special needs, needs or, yeah. Yeah, you know, everyone would say, Oh, you go to Greenacre. So that was kind of a thing.
0: Like the blue so, bus.
3: Yeah. Yeah, but everywhere has their sort of, yeah. You know, again, if you had mental health issues, I think you have used to be World 20 because that was where the mental health ward was. Every little, you will have it where you grew up. We uh, don't really talk yeah. like that anymore. But certainly in of that time, it was like, I guess it was just
0: a way to sort of just, I don't know. So I think to help you in your sentencing for Leach, yes. I think what you're trying to say is it's it's not so much that we have to make him deaf or give him a disability but just, you know, hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy and he gets a Babel fish and he sticks yeah. it in his ear and then he can it translates everything and he can understand absolutely everything. Maybe we give this guy a broken Babel fish. When you stick that in his ear, it's the opposite and everything that he's asking people, everything that's said to him is a confusion and he's not yeah. understanding it. And so then his clearance rate goes from 100% to zero. Oh, I like it. There I love it Because he's getting because it, getting it that's what motivates people. And he's eating shit snack. Like yes, that's it. what motivates shit him snack. is
3: to get 100%. Yeah. <laughs> and clearly I've never read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy because I've just found out why Bevelfish is the name of a
0: translating. <laughs> <lady>. Yes.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love it.
0: Bing. I was never,
2: today, old when. I t-
0: yeah, never heard of it. There you
1: go. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's all right.
1: And I and one that's of my true. kids
3: did it like as, as some for school where they had to do like Japanese or something. They had to, to um, review three different things. So they one of them did that, but I don't know that there was any comment about where the name originated from. So it was totally yeah. never never given it any thought. But now I've just learnt something. So that's A of Douglas
0: good. Adams for you. There you go. Well, there you go.
2: Yeah.
0: Mm. All right, Clarking.
2: So there's two points. I guess I'm kind of. Wondering about so one is one is the juror, the, the foreman of the jury, who said <laughs> that you are not guilty.
1: Oh, oops. <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> what? Hey, what? what you've got to remember, though, he would have been very stressed, right? No, I understand shit. that. I, very I understand was that. <laughs> also,
2: guilty as charged. What that would have done to poor John Button on the day when he's already he
1: all thought, he you was... know,
2: I mean, I, I get that he's the. Most likely suspect, but he's followed his girlfriend. It's a
0: kick in the guts, isn't and it? And
2: he's gone and found her practically dead on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. And he's tried to save her. And he's then been number one suspect, despite there really being no evidence other than there's damage to his car, which she reported three weeks earlier. That is the weirdest premeditated murder you could ever imagine. He then gets found not guilty, but, oh, hang on a minute, don't worry about it, mate, sorry, you're actually guilty. <laughs> like it's it's horrendous. So that poor bloke, so that, that foreman of the jury, I was thinking, you know, do I send him to speech therapy classes? But I don't think he had an <laughs> issue with speech therapy. What I'm going to sentence him to is, Um, My sister, because she was deaf, used to go to speech therapy. Her and mum would go, but because I was too young to be left at home, I would be left in the car. So mum would (laughs) leave the car, ignition on. So much better than leaving
0: you at home, right.
2: Right, with the radio Mm -hmm. on so that I would have something to do and I would have to hang out in the car by myself for the duration of the speech therapy lesson, week after week after week. So I think I want him to do that.
0: listeners. Exactly. It was to of time, time, it was exactly not right? the to like, drive. <laughs> yeah. Like
2: nowadays you can't do that at the casino, I don't know why, but back then that's, that was a legitimate babysitting technique.
3: You can't it with a pet now. That's absolutely right. Yeah,
2: that's
3: right.
2: That's, how, <laughs> that's how mad this world is. So I want him to be sentenced to having that hour in the car to – Re- to effectively look in the revision mirror and repeat what it is that he's actually going to read out until he can get it right. And then once he can get guilty. it right, he can guilty. go. Yeah, yeah. Guilty. Not, 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 not guilty. No, 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 just guilty. No, not. No, 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 Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The other bit I'm really wondering about is we all talk about the good old days and how they were simpler. And I think as long as you are on the right side of the law and society and all that sort of stuff, sure it was simpler because, you know, everything was black and white. Old mate down the road was a pedo and got victimised by everyone from it, although he'd probably never been convicted. Although he probably
0: wasn't. Yeah.
2: Well, no, no, there were were definitely ones who were and, and still are. We've discussed that, haven't we, in my family? Yeah, yeah. Anyway. What?
0: I'm not sure we have. Moving <laughs> Moving right no, on. I'm sure
2: we have. But anyway, we were probably all drunk <laughs> at the time, apart from you, Swanee, who just forgot it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there are so many people who were accused of things, and it was just accepted that they did it, regardless of whether it was through the whether legal process awkward, or
1: not. Or insular or. Whatever, whatever it was, the right? You or were gay. Or whatever. Yes. Yeah, you- or gay. <laughs>
2: It wasn't just the label, it was all of the stuff that then came with that, right? So if you were the one who was labelled as the weirdo, the, the pedo, the bloke who did it, whatever that murder was, you know, whatever it was, you suffered a lot. And I bet if those people were all get together now and go, oh, things were so much simpler back then, they'd all be going, what a load Thank of you. old oh. shit. That was not simpler. That was absolute hell. And deafness back then was actually, that people used to talk about, is it worse to be deaf or blind? Nowadays, deafness is so much more integratable into society because of, uh, ironically, because of phones that before people couldn't use. So, so there's a lot of things that were really simple for a lot of people back then and a lot of things that were super, super difficult. So I think for everyone who looks back on the good old days, if they could just, consider some of what we've discussed tonight and how many injustices there were, how easy it was to write someone off as guilty or schmitty gay or whatever it might be, and then they just got teased, victimised, abused, whatever it might be, I think we can all go, it probably wasn't as simple as it was, so... That was the one that I haven't got. It a,
0: wasn't. It was a terrible time.
2: I, I mean, there were things that were simple, right? But but there was a lot that wasn't. A lot was super complicated. I yeah. don't know what yeah. a sentence can be in that context.
1: Maybe a bit of peasant. Can line. I sentence the two police officers?
2: You can. A hundred percent. You Ooh. can. Yes. <laughs> Bring it on. Go for
1: so it. So they need to be sentenced to never any promotions yeah. and an indication mm-hmm. on their records about overturned convictions and a bad success rate. Could they also
2: be sentenced to never being believed again by by people oh, in I'd their pers- in their personal life?
1: That's a real punishment. Yeah, because then
2: like stuff their careers, but you know they say, Oh, you know, I looked for the keys, I couldn't find them. Well, that's because you're a shit investigator, honey, and exactly. I'm gonna to have to go and have a look now. I mean I love probably, that punishment. That's probably every man ever anyway, but
0: Yeah, no, that's hmm. perfect. Yeah. It's like the Cassandra thing. You know, Cassandra was. No idea. Greek mythology. Cassandra spurned Apollo.
3: I thought it was a case we discussed, Swanee. So, right, that's why I was laughing. No idea, as
0: usual. Was it one of mine? Was it one of mine? Was it last week? All right, yeah, yeah, now I'm here. Cursed her with the gift of prophecy, but no one would ever believe her. So, there you go. Yes. Um, Hmm. Yes, I, I, I feel. That I should have been called Cassandra. I feel like I have. I am cursed by the same thing in my personal life.
2: You're cursed by murdering too many people and getting away with it. That's what I was Nonsense.
0: All right, well, that was, again, one of those sad ones. Also, really, really interesting um, and so glad it didn't have anything to do with Ned Kelly in it but another Australian serial killer and psychopath, so nice ones.
3: Ouch. It certainly I mean, must have changed the, um, oh, I know it did because I've read it or whatever else. I can't imagine how much that must have changed Perth. I mean, I know that we mm, were talking oh. particularly about the people getting off, but that, those three people <gasps> and their, you know, being and, incarcerated incorrectly and then, of course, Eric Edgar Cook. My God, that must have rocked the world. here. took the innocence away of this from the city. Oh,
0: oh yes. very moving. All right.
2: <laughs> it's just that like I you said, you're oh, the innocence out. away from the city. Shout out on some pills. <laughs> Fucking hell. Oh,
0: poor oh,
3: Pess. Oh, yes, sorry yes. You yes.
2: Know, no one's sorrier mm.
1: than I.
0: Mm. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much for joining us, Reggie. Brilliant work. Absolutely. Oh, thank yeah, you thanks, so Reggie. much for having me on. Oh, I loved you. it. Very much always. enjoyed that. Good to have someone who actually knows what they're talking about to us <laughs> once in well, a while. Well, yeah.
1: <laughs> some of the time. Don't understand the uh, Court of Appeals stuff in WA, but I did my best. Nah, good job. <laughs> All right, guys.
0: And as we say every week, miss you already. Bye. Ciao. Ciao, Bye. Ciao.
1: Bye. Have a good night.
0: Thanks for listening to Trial by Wine. You can contact us at trialbywine at gmail.com. Please rate, review and subscribe to Trial by Wine on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to support us, you can become a patron at www.patreon.com, Trial by Wine, or visit our website www.trialbywine.com to donate to us. Your support will help us cover many more cases and apply wacky sentences. We really appreciate you listening and hope you tell everyone about us. Our cover art is by John Cristo, and music is by Beauchamp from pixabay.com.